for y'all. It's very deep. But do you believe it? Do you rest in it? How deep is his love, sons and daughters? It is great. Good morning, saints. Hopefully you all are doing well today. Hopefully y'all are doing well today. Okay. Come on now. Talk to me. Let's go. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 8. We will be looking at verses 18 through 22. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Advent means the arrival of a notable person. And for Christians around the world, uh, Jesus Christ is that notable person. He enters our reality, time, and, and space. He, he moves into our communities, uh, the over-resourced communities and the under-resourced communities. Uh, he moves into our neighborhoods, the suburbs, the projects, the trailer park, the homeless shelters. He comes to be the way, the Christmas way. And the way of Christmas, it has four quirks that I talked about last week. Do you remember those? The healing, the cost, the calm, the rejection. The healing, the cost, the calm, the rejection. I preached on the rejection, on the healing last Sunday from Matthew 8 verses um, 1 through 7. And the cost is up today. The cost of the Christmas way is on the docket today. And that's in verses 18 through 22. And please know that the the Christmas way has a cost that must be counted. That's an amen statement. The Christmas way has a cost that must be counted. There's a cost for people who desire to follow the Christmas way. So look with me at Matthew 8, beginning and receive with humility and great joy God's word for y'all and God's word to y'all. Now, when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And the scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is God's holy, inerrant, perfect word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to this part of our gathering, we need you. We need you. We don't just need you at the moment of salvation, at the moment of our conversion. We need you throughout the rest of our journey in this world. That you are live inside of every believer supernaturally. You live with us, inside of us. And so as our counselor, as our helper, help us today. Help us to receive what we need to receive today from the preached word. 
And I pray that as we leave this place, we will leave with a great assurance of who Christ is for us. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. I need help from the kids and preteens and teens. Can y'all help Pastor Alex this morning? I can't hear you. Can you help me? All right. What kind of career or job do y'all want when you grow up? All right. Like to be a pilot? All right. A policeman? All right. Firefighter? Yes. Any others? What do you want to be when you grow up? What was that? Engineers are taking over. So I want you guys to hold on to those thoughts. Remember them. Pursue them. And I also want each of you to know that, that you're in a transitional stage as young people. Each of you are in the process of, of transitioning from adulthood to adolescence and finally to adulthood when you get off your parents' budget. And, and, as you, and, each, and as each of you grow and as you transition, you will eventually have to count the cost for the career path you're going to choose, that you're going to pursue. And counting the cost means to consider the possible outcomes and results and consequences of decisions made. Counting the cost means you must be willing to accept and embrace those consequences. You all will have to live with the results of your life choices, your career choices, your financial choices, and your relational choices. Some results will be positive and some will be negative. So choose wisely. My wife uh, used to work for 3M as a human resource professional. And early in her career, she was she was assigned a, a mentor who happened to be the VP of HR. And she was just a few years from retirement. And, and in their initial meeting, uh, she asked my wife this question. What are your goals and aspirations? What are your goals and aspirations? Confidently, my wife said, I would like to have your position one day. How do you think her mentor responded? What do you think she said to my lovely wife? The VP of HR, she paused. She looked my wife square in the eyes and asked this question. What are you willing to give up to have this job? What are you willing to give up to sit in this chair? The money and the prestige are great, but the job requires lots of travel, long hours, and, and a constant bombarded with stressful situations, she said. She went on to tell my wife that, that she regrets missing so much of her now adult daughter's life growing up. She missed most of her daughter's special moments, sports games, and, and music recitals. And as a result, they now have a strained relationship. And my wife got the sense that if her mentor could go back, she would do some things differently, maybe an improved work-life balance. Kids, preteens, teens, adults, life doesn't offer you a do-over. And nor can you be and do everything. You can't be all things to all people. You will always have to sacrifice something for something. That's an amen statement. You will always have to sacrifice something for something. There will always be a cost 
for the choices you're going to make in your life. So you got to count those costs. And the same is true for people who choose and decide to follow the Christmas way. There is a cost. And the costs are put in place by Christ himself. He puts the cost in place for those who will follow him. In his time, crowds of people followed Jesus all the time. And if, as, as they follow him, they need to be counting the cost of that. Y'all need to count the cost. The cost of the Christmas way, the Christmas way has three costs that must be counted. And all three are revealed by Christ here in Matthew 8. And all three are put in place by him. Not put in place by me. I'm just the messenger. Okay? So as we work through this sermon, you get into your feelings, then you need to go deal with Jesus about it. I'm just a messenger. Don't hate on me. Josh Hall is a licensed uh, social worker who gave a TEDx talk on the illusion of control. He tells the audience to visualize that they live inside an imaginary bubble, an imaginary circle. It's a circle that's with you all the time. Visualize it. Visualize your circle. Adults, kids, visualize it. You have this circle. He says this circle is unique to you, but it functions the same way for everybody. And that means that everything that's inside your circle, you have 100% control over. And everything outside the circle, you have zero control over. TVC Saints, what's inside your circle? Kids, what's inside your circle? It's more than just you. Josh lists seven things. Yes, God is there. Josh lists seven things that people have inside that circle. Money, time, relationships, children, clothing, food, job. So these are the things that people put inside that circle. And this is when the illusion of control shows up. Because you have no control over those seven things. You just think you do. Josh says those things are actually outside your circle. That's where they belong. When people put them inside that circle, that's why they have no contentment. Because they're trying to control things that are outside their control. He says there's only two things that, that people can control, and that is their attitude and behavior. Those are the two, two things that actually live inside the circle with you. Mental health issues and health and, and, and brokenness, too. So even those sometimes are, not outside, are outside your control. What does this TEDx talk mean for the Christmas way? It means the Christmas way will cost you the constant attempts to control what's outside your circle. If you're saying, I want to follow the Christmas way, then you are saying, I'm going to give up control of trying to control what's outside my circle. The money, time, relationships, kids, clothing, food, and jobs. It costs you the crown that's on your own head. Because all of us, as Americans, we walk around with crowns on our heads. And Christ enters in and says, you need to give up the kingship and queenship. Give it to me. The throne that you set upon, get off. It's my throne. You resign from being the boss of your life and you give control over to Jesus. And so have you counted that cost of the Christmas way? So, yeah, I want to come to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. But you know what that really means. He gets everything. He gets your life. Giving up the illusion of control 
And you give it up so you can trust Jesus more. Christ requires people who truly follow him to relinquish to him control over every area of their life, over their circumstances, over the results, over the outcomes. He wants control of what's outside your circle. He makes this point clear in in verse 18. In verse 18a, he says, now when he sees a, a crowd around him, a crowd surrounding Jesus isn't anything new in the Gospel of Matthew. People always come to Jesus. They follow him. When he came onto the ministry scene, people flocked to him. Matthew 4 states that his fame spread throughout the region and great crowds followed him everywhere he went. The crowd was there when he went up on the mountain to deliver the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verses chapters 5 through 7. The crowd is still there when he comes down from the mountain in chapter 8. The great crowds are are there when he heals the man with leprosy. They're there when he heals the centurion servant. They're waiting outside Peter's house when he heals Peter's Peter's mother-in-law. More and more people come to him. More and more people bring sick people to him. He even casts out demons and he heals them. These crowds, they represent lost sheep who come to Jesus out of need. And each of them follow him in various degrees. Their commitment to him varies, varies. From strong, weak to non-existent. Many of them have not relinquished to him the control of their life, control of the things outside their circle. Many don't even have faith in him. And Jesus knows this, saints. He's not naive. He's not foolish about the crowd's loyalty and to him and the opposition to him. The same applies to us. Christ knows where you are in your commitment and loyalty to him. And even in your opposition, even in you, continue to try to control the things outside your circle. He sees you clearly. And yet he still loves you. He sees you. He sees the crowd. He sees them hanging around him, but not really being committed to him. And what do you think Christ is going to say to them? What's going to be his response? He gives a simple order. He gives a command. Look at verse 18b. He says, he, Jesus gives orders to go to the other side. So he sees the crowd around him, then he gives orders to go to the other side. And that seems odd for Jesus to to try to get away from the crowd. What's happening here? Christ is exercising his authority. He doesn't just teach with authority. He doesn't just perform miracles with authority. He gives orders with the same authority. He commands his disciples to get ready, not people who follow him because of his fame not the people who follow him because of his platform not people who follow him because he's youtube and twitter and instagram famous he's talking to his disciples those who truly have faith in him are you a disciple are you a disciple jesus gives orders to his disciples to go to the other side of the river and he expects them to obey He expects them to drop what they're doing in order to prepare themselves for this journey. And why does he have this expectation of them? He said in John 10, verses 27 and 28, Christ says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus' sheep, they hear his voice. And they follow him wherever he directs them. 
His sheep are under his authority. They live under it and they rest under it. They freely relinquish to him the control of what's outside of their circle. Please understand, saints, that everyone in this crowd surrounding Jesus isn't a sheep. Nor is every person who attends church every week is a sheep. They're not. Sheep are people who have come to Christ in saving faith. They trust him as redeemer and king. They surrender to him as savior and Lord. If you're a sheep this morning, then it means you are a disciple of Christ. A disciple who who can trust and rest in Christ's authority over your life, over your circumstances. Do you believe Christ has authority over your circumstances? Do you really believe that? And do you trust that authority? Do you trust he will use it wisely? Continue to trust him with what's outside your circle. Let him control and direct you with your money, your time, your relationships, your children, clothing, food, job, your politics, health, and even justice. Do you trust Jesus with those things? Or do you think you got to do it yourself? If you don't know Christ in faith, then you can come to him right now. You can come to the Christmas way, but you've got to count the cost. It'll cost you control over your whole existence. As one hymn says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Will you give it to him? Will you trust him with it? The late poet Khalil Gibran is known for his book, The Poet, The Prophet. This book is a collection of 26 um, prose poems. And the main character in this book is a wise man named Al Mustafa. He delivers these 26 poems as sermons to a group of people living on a fictional island. And, And these people, they want him to give them wisdom about life. And one of the poems called Houses, he says to them, Tell me, what have you in these houses? Have you only comfort? The lust of comfort? That stealthy thing enters the house as a guest. Then it becomes a host. Then a master. It becomes a tamer. And with hooks and scourge makes puffets of your larger larger desires. Though its hands are silken, its heart is of iron. It soothes you to sleep. Only to stand by your bed and mock the deal of flesh. It makes mock of your sound senses. It lays them down in thistletown like fragile vessels. Truly, the lust for comfort murders the passions of the soul. Then it walks grinning into the funeral. Comfort. An American idol. Jesus is a comfort slayer. He comes and put the lust for comfort in its place. He takes away its power, wipes away its grin. He does so because the Christmas way does cost us comforts. Creature comforts, American comforts, church comforts, worldly comforts. We sacrifice the lust for comfort to follow Jesus just like we sacrifice the illusion of control. We do that. Christ has authority over your comforts. Do you believe that? 
I love Jesus. I love him with all my heart. But you, you love him enough to give him, your, give him those things that comfort you. Does he have control over those things? He makes this point clear when, when an eager teacher of the law comes to him. This, 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 this teacher of the law is a religious scholar. And he comes to Jesus with excitement, enthusiasm. He's filled with high emotions, just like people who attend Christian camps and, and conferences and, and revival services. They are, they are so jacked up on emotion, they make all these rash, irrational commitments to Jesus. I'm going to be a missionary, but Jesus, he's calling me to be a missionary. But guess what? They ain't missionaries. Because the commitment was made without counting the cost. The scholar says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I promise, Jesus, wherever you go, I'll go. You call me to, to, to move to, to Alabama and, and plant a church called the Village Church, I'll go. That was a joke, guys. That's a quick commitment by this scholar. He's overly confident and in his ability to follow Jesus. He's on fire for the Lord, we would say. He sold out for Jesus. The person has been led by impulse, not conviction. And been led emotionally without counting the cost. He's been led rationally without counting the cost. The person hasn't counted the cost to his comforts. I'll follow you, Jesus. Just make sure it's easy. Just make sure it doesn't interfere with my schedule. Just make sure I don't have to deny myself anything. Just make sure I won't have to make any sacrifices. Then I'll follow you. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go as long as it's convenient for me and my family. If you can guarantee that, then I'm game. Then I'm game. Just make sure I can continue to be who I am. I'll follow you. Jesus sees right through such a shallow promise and commitment. He knows a person hasn't really counted the cost of what it means to be his disciple. The, the person even calls him teacher and rabbi. He's, he's, I think he's volunteering to follow Jesus as a pupil, not maybe a truly a, a disciple. Look at Christ's response to him. He says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Animals have a place to sleep. They have a place to call home. They have certain comforts. But the Son of Man doesn't even have the basic comfort of a home to go to and sleep at night. That's what Jesus said. It's going to cost you certain comforts. The phrase Son of Man, this is the first time this title is used in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually used 31 times in the Gospel. Seven times is used to refer to Christ's earthly ministry. Ten times for his rejection, suffering, and humiliation. And 14 times for his future glory. It's being used here for his humiliation and his discomfort. I experienced discomfort. And so will you. For those who follow me. Are you game for that, saints? Think about this, saints. Advent is Jesus sacrificing the comfort of heaven in order to enter your reality. Your time in your space. He has counted the cost of his own advent and yet he moves forward for your sake. 
He's not calling you to do something he hasn't already done. He moves into your communities, into your neighborhoods. He knows what that's going to do to him. Right here in Matthew 8, he fully knows that, that the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon him on the cross for sin. And yet he moves forward for your benefit. That's amen, saints. Because Christ has counted the cost, and you know what? And he still said, I'll do it. Can we count the cost? In the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord will continue to count the cost. He's going to say to the original disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And he's going to walk away from them and and he's going to fall on his face. And he's going to say, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And yet he moves forward for his father's glory by saying, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But as you will. He prays even a second time, my father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus counts the cost of the incarnation. We we romanticize the Christmas story. It's not a romantic story. He has counted the cost of, of, of moving into your neighborhood. He counts the cost of Christmas. He Jesus counts the cost of what it's going to take for him to secure your conversion, your justification, your adoption, your sanctification, your perseverance, your glorification. He knows it's going to cost him his life. But yet he moves forward. Always forward and forward always. He does so for the Father's glory, for your forgiveness, for your redemption, to liberate you from the bondage of sin. Jesus counts the cost of the Christmas way. And yet he still leans into his humiliation, suffering, beating, cross, and even death. He embraces the discomfort of the Christmas way because he knows resurrection follows. Because he knows Glorification follows. He knows he will be victorious in the end. So how does that make you feel? What do you think? See what he saints. Jesus sacrificed his comforts for our good. And we should be willing to sacrifice our comforts for his glory. Again, he's not calling you to do something he hasn't already done. Discipleship is costly. The Christian way is uncomfortable. There will be some loneliness. There will be some hardships. It will, it may cost you your American dream, your American comfort, your American privileges, your American rights. Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. Death to self in order to live for Christ. That is the cost. The term concern can be used as a verb and a noun. And as a noun, it means a matter of interest or importance to someone. What, what's of importance to you? What are your life concerns? And which of those concerns do you give top priority? Think about it. And as you think about those concerns and as they come to mind, please know that the Christmas way will cost you those concerns. You have to sacrifice the priority of your concerns to Jesus so he can rearrange them. So he can rearrange them. He puts them in the order he wants them to be in. And as Americans, 
We don't like people telling us what to do because we're Americans. But Christ says, if you're going to follow me, I dictate. I rearrange your priorities. I'm Lord over those priorities. I have authority over those priorities. But do you believe it and do you accept it? He makes this clear to a disciple, a person who comes to Jesus with some degree of attachment to him. This, this, the, the, the disciples' priority of concerns are out of order. There's a conflict. That there's another concern in his life that requires his immediate attention. So he can't go with Jesus to the other side of the river just yet. He wants to follow Christ, but he has to put it off to later. He needs a rain check, okay, and a postponement. He asks for permission to leave. Look at verse 21. Another disciple says to Jesus, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. But Christ says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own. How do you really feel about Christ's response? Be honest. Imagine him saying those words to you. And many of you be like, what? what? So let, me, let, let me make sure I'm understanding you, Jesus. You want me to leave my dead father behind without attempting, without going to the funeral? I mean, you, 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 you want me to leave my mother on her deathbed, the woman who birthed me? That's cold, Jesus. That's some hot mess. I know the words sound harsh and insensitive. And Christ may even appear to not even care about the man's dead father. So the question is, what is going on here? The Greek phrase that's translated to bury my father and also means to take care of one's father until his, until his death. And so many scholars believe, and I believe, that the man's father is not really dead. He is saying, I need to go take care of my father until he dies. One scholar says the phrase refers to the duty of a son to remain at home and care for his parents until they are led to rest respectfully. See, the disciple is under another obligation. And that is a top priority on his list, that he wants Jesus to give him permission to leave, to put his discipleship on hold until he takes care of things back home with his parents. So he's asking for an indefinite rain check and postponement. Put his discipleship on hold for years. When my father dies and I bury him, then I catch up with you later, Jesus. I have other things to do. I have other concerns, other priorities that need my attention. Once I get those things taken care of, then I'll follow you. Then I'll be your disciple. Then I'll go to church. Then I'll do it. Jesus doesn't give him permission to leave. Instead, he says, continue to follow me. Keep following me and leave the dead to bury their own. It's best to understand that phrase figuratively. And one commentator says the dead can only mean those outside the discipleship group who lack spiritual life, who, in the absence of a higher calling, can be left to deal with mundane matters. TVC Saints, do you know what comes after your conversion? What comes after Jesus redeems you from a life of sin and misery? It's discipleship. And discipleship isn't optional. It's expected, it's required, and it has a cost. It costs you the priorities of your concerns in life. Think about this. Jesus doesn't just move into your neighborhoods. He actually moves into your house. 
Okay? He actually moves into your house and take over the master suite. He doesn't move in as a roommate. He doesn't move in as a guest. He doesn't move into the basement. He doesn't move into the, the Lord and Savior suites that you built for him. He moves into the house and makes it his house. He takes over. He redecorates. He starts changing the paint on the wall, moving furniture around. And when he does that, it's going to get on your nerves. Because he's like, it's my house. That's what he does with your priorities. He takes them over and he's going to reorder them. He's going to move them around. He's going to change your priorities. Your top priority will be follow me. If you say, I want to follow Jesus, then that also means he is going to change your priorities. He's going to reorder them to the order he wants them to be. And number one on that list would be follow me. Follow me. As he says in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. He's not talking about conversion. He's talking about post-conversion. Like once you're saved, once I rescue you, once I snatch you out of the grips of hell, he's saying, now you got to live as a disciple. Follow me. Follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. The Christmas way, saints, has a cost. Have you counted those costs? Have you really thought about them? Have you really considered them? We have a tendency in American Christianity to, to romanticize everything about Christianity. Every, we romanticize everything. Even Christmas. Even what it means to live as a disciple. It costs you nothing, but it costs you everything will cost you the illusion of control. And daily you may have to pray, Spirit, help me give Jesus the control of things that are outside my circle. You want a New Year's resolution? Let that be it. Pray for that. Pray for the Holy Spirit to to help you um, give your lust for comfort over to Jesus. Let to submit it under his authority. Hey, we all love comfort. I'll give you one of mine. I love being a Christian, but I love being a Christian in America more. Why? Because it's comfortable. Now, I don't mind when you're on yours. We also have to give him the priority of our concerns. And that includes your dreams, your passions, your goals, your plans, your schedule. Christ, it says, they become mine now. And the most beautiful thing about Christ is that he doesn't abuse his authority in your life. It is a good thing to give him those things in your life. You have to do this daily. This is not just a one-time thing. Conversion is a one-time thing. But submitting to Jesus, your lust for for comfort and and pride and, and, and and your concerns, those are things you daily give to him. That's what it means to be a disciple. You're daily saying, take it, Jesus. 
control, comfort, concerns. Control, comfort, concerns. I can trust you with them because of who you are. And so as we leave here today, going out into the world, go out knowing that this Christmas, because Christ has counted the cost to secure your own salvation, that he also has counted the cost of what it means to keep you to the end. And he will do it. He'll give you what you need to press on and to move forward. Let us pray, saints. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you counted the cost of your own advent. And yet you still moved forward. You still came. We give you the glory for that. We praise you for that. We just pray you continue to watch over us, continue to bless us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Please stand, saints, as we close our service.